0: Hello, church. Hey, look at that. Guys, I am stoked. We are finishing out our series on holiness today. I'm, I'm excited to jump into this. If you want to grab your Bibles, you can turn them to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to take us a couple minutes to get there, but, but I am incredibly excited for what we have, and i got to get straight to it because I wrote too much for today. Uh, but God is good, and it's going to work. So, uh, essentially, if, if I'm being honest with you guys, when I when I think about this series and kind of what drew my heart to this and and why we are pursuing this as a church, this sermon right now in this text we're jumping into, this is what really drew me to this series as a whole. Today we're going to be talking about the commandment in Scripture that we as individual believers, followers of Jesus, live holy lives. Now that's, that's an intense thing, but as we're going to see plainly in our text today, as well as I mean, texts all over the New Testament, the Bible unavoidably calls all of us who who claim the name of Christ, who follow Jesus, to live morally and spiritually pure and holy lives here and now on earth. I'm going to say that last sentence again, because I put a whole lot of qualifiers in there, but I think it's important for us. The Bible unavoidably calls us to live morally and spiritually pure and holy lives here and now on this earth. That's a big ask, right? There's a lot in that. And that's something that we all fall short of way more often than not. So this discussion is worth our time. I'll be, I'll be just real confessional with you guys. I just want you to know very, very plainly, like it, it burns in my heart how much I fall short of this biblical commandment from our scripture, from our God. I mean, I, I love Christian freedom. I love Christian liberty, but Christian discipline? Christian restraint, Christian holiness. I am not so keen on those concepts and my life reflects it. And I'm confident I'm not the only one who's there if we're willing to actually be honest about the deep down ugly roots of ourselves. We need to have this conversation. But we really needed, we needed to start with kind of the larger biblical teaching regarding holiness, kind of holiness in general, the holiness of God, so that this didn't turn into just moralizing and legalism and guilt tripping, right? Like, let me explain it like this. We, we had to start here the first week, we went back all the way to the Old Testament and looked at Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God, right? He, he was confronted with the immense holiness of God face to face, and in this led to this incredibly important discussion for us about the absolute perfect uniqueness of God. God's God's holy otherness is so intense that to approach him without holiness is to be consumed by his holiness. Imagine like the corona of a star. It's brilliant, it's beautiful, but it's so holy other than you that if you were to approach it as you are, as just a human, it would consume you and destroy you. God's holiness is the same, but infinitely more so. He's so good, so pure, so powerful, so other than us that for our sinful selves to touch him in our our unholy state, would be for us to destroy ourselves. And we talked about how this leaves us with this impossible dilemma. Human beings are made in the image of God, made by Him for perfect and complete unity with Him, but the reality of sin has made it such that even though we're designed to be in intimacy with Him, we can't be in intimacy with Him because it would destroy us. It is an impossible space. Humanity is left in by the curse. But praise be to God that God is not satisfied with this state of being. From the very moment that sin entered the world, go back to Genesis 3 and read about God describing the consequences of sin, right? From the very moment that sin entered the world, God began to promise that he would fix what sin had broken, that that he would make a way. He would be the one to make a way for us to be with him again. Enter Jesus. And last week, we, we talked about the holiness of Jesus versus the unholiness of sinful man, how, how our unholiness is, is transmissive. It, it spreads through human hearts and human society, generation to generation and person to person. The, the scripture talks, kind of uh, uh, showing this like in, in an image, how simply touching something unclean is to become unclean oneself. But Jesus, as we see, is stronger than the power of sin. Jesus' holiness transmits to us rather than our unholiness transmitting to him. He, he becomes a bridge between man and God. He, he makes a way for us to be holy, for us to be with God again. He made the way through his life, his work, for us to be with God the death, the life, the resurrection, the ascension, the eventual return of Jesus, this person, this work is sufficient to make us holy, to make us able to be with our God again, with the lover of our souls again. When Christ returns, beloved, and restores all things, we, his followers, will be perfectly holy and will dwell with God himself amongst us. The image of the throne room of God in Revelation has has a temple with no walls. That the mercy seat of God is out in the open for everyone to see because there is no longer any separation between creator and creation. We are living fully in intimacy with him because of Jesus' work to make us holy. Man, what good news. What a gospel. But what about right now. And this is what we're going to talk about today to kind of land this thing. What about this space and this time where Jesus has already paid the sin price for us to, to, to be with Him? He's already been on the cross. He's already already made things new, but He's not yet returned and restored all things. In other words, how are we to live in this space where we know that God demands holiness, that Jesus made a way for us to holiness, that in Christ, our holiness is guaranteed, but right here and right now, we still love sin. In other words, we know holiness is our eternal destination because of Jesus, but what do you do with that today? What do you do with that right now? when we all have, if we're honest, pet sins that we love, that have comfortable, deep, intimate places in our hearts. What are we to do with that? Turn with me to First Peter. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this, Therefore, Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each person's deeds, then conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile Is in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass, the grass that withers, flowers that fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would be loudly present in this space for the next few minutes. God, I I feel so strongly that what's, what's in this text is important for this body, for this church, for myself, for us as brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would be our discipler, be our teacher today. Holy Spirit, use your word. Cut us to the quick. Divide between bone and sinew. Convict us. Draw us to the reality, the reality of our sin. Draw us to dependence on you. Draw us to life and freedom in you. And God, whatever whatever distractions Satan would seek to put in our mind and our hearts today to keep us from hearing what you have, we pray that you would silence those things. That our hearts would be calm, that even our flesh, our old man that longs for us to wallow in sin, that it would be silenced by you today, that we might hear from you and hear clearly from you. God, we love you. We trust you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. If you're anything like me, a text like that hits you like a sack of bricks. Peter speaks with this brevity and this bluntness that I just feel like, I feel like it's so refreshing and convicting. I feel like Peter speaks with the simplicity that that Paul could have maybe learned from. I I think Peter even like knew that a little bit because at the end of his letter, he's like, you should read Paul's stuff. It's way harder to read than my stuff, but you should read it anyway. I I I love the bluntness with which Peter speaks to us. Here's what I'd like to do with this text today. I'm going to walk back through it. We want to see how it connects to the larger New Testament teaching about holiness. We'll, we'll look at a couple key words and phrases that Peter specifically uses in his instruction. I think this is going to lead us to, to the kind of three hallmarks of the life of holiness that we see in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about calling upon the Lord, enduring, and giving ourselves fully to the fellowship into the Word. And then we're going to kind of look at these in turn and kind of consider them and consider what that means for us and our relationships specifically with the Holy Spirit of God. And then we'll end our time just kind of hearing Paul's challenge and encouragement to the church at Rome and just some time for prayer and reflection. Sound good? Rock and roll. So this, this text is really similar to many that we find in the New Testament. It's, it's brutally hard to honestly address. But, but if we're honest, it also shouldn't be that shocking to us. From the teachings of Jesus himself to the apostles to the writers of the epistles, the whole New Testament is telling us over and over and over that God expects his followers to live holy lives. Our heart, our conduct is to be set apart and to be other from the sinful and broken world. I mean, what could make more sense than that? God is holy, and, and Jesus made a way for us to approach his holiness, and the spirit of God that dwells within believers, he is, well, I mean, it's in the name, holy, right? Right? So if Jesus has saved us and his spirit dwells within us, that should probably look like something, yeah? I mean, that should probably do something. All this connection, all this interaction with the holy God of the universe that we're able to do through Christ and through his spirit living in us, that should probably at some point, on some level, rub off on us. I mean, that really like, I know, like, I'm saying this intensely, but, but I feel like this teaching, as hard as it may be to actually implement, it just shouldn't surprise us if we think about it for a couple minutes. And by the way, if you look at the history of Christianity, this really seems to be the case. Historically, Christians have been set apart from the world within which we find ourselves. The ancient Christians, they, they faced persecution and suffering. They, they loved the unlovable. They fought to make the world a better place. The church was front and center in the creation of things like modern medicine and social work and foster and orphan care and public education and the advancement of women's rights and the fight against slavery and racism and the protection of children and the protection of the unborn. And by the way... In spite of what you may read or hear in the more clickbait-ish articles that wander around social media, modern American evangelical Christians stand firmly within the same tradition both socially and privately. When when surveys about American Christianity are selected for those who actually practice their faith versus those who identify the Christian faith culturally but don't practice it, what we find is that American Christians have significantly lower divorce rates, are three times as likely as the average American to foster or adopt. They volunteer more. They're more likely to advocate for the rights of the unborn, advocate for the rights of the orphan, advocate for the rights of the elderly. They give significantly larger chunks of their income to charitable organizations. And by the way, the list goes on. I hope when you hear these sorts of descriptions of our church history, and even even the American church right now, I really hope that gives you some joy. There there is something about the people of Jesus that really does make the world a uniquely better place. That's a a beautiful thing to be a part of, right? Right? But I hope that it also gives you, like me, some pause. It's great to hear about what the church is doing to make the world better. But when I look at my own heart, my own choices day to day, my own pet sins, my own brokenness, my own story. I have to be honest and admit that holy is not the word I would use to primarily self-identify or self-describe. And I think if you guys are being honest, you'd agree with me on that one. But Jesus has made us holy, right? So what do we, what do, we do with this? How do we walk this line of accepting and living into the identity that Jesus has won for us by his work on the cross while also soberly acknowledging the reality of our own shortcomings, our own needs to grow, our own needs to change? I think this is exactly what Peter is talking about for us. In this, the first of his kind of general epistles, Peter's speaking to the larger church. He's not writing this to one specific congregation. He knows this letter is going to be circulated widely to a variety of churches, kind of spread over Asia Minor, who, who are facing some persecution. He's essentially writing to these churches to encourage them in the midst of their hardship and challenge them to live excellently while awaiting Jesus' return. It's, it's honestly a context that, that translates to the church today really well. Folk who are doing their best to love Jesus within a larger society that just isn't super keen on Christianity. How do you pursue Jesus with integrity in the midst of a less than ideal environment? Well, in our text, Peter's answer is holiness. It's holiness. Our text Begins with a therefore. And if you've been around my teaching long enough, you already know the cheesy line I'm going to encourage you toward, which is this in scripture, when you see a therefore, you need to stop and step back and see what it's there for. In our case, Peter is just in kind of the opening few paragraphs of this letter given this amazing explanation and reminder of the amazing identity, the amazing freedom that we have because of Jesus, because of his work on our behalf. He, he opens the letter with this extended description of how wonderful the gospel is. And in our text, he says, therefore. In other words, he's saying, guys, since Jesus has been so good to you, and then he goes in, to what we're saying here. He says these three kind of set up phrases for us. Prepare your minds for action, be sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, Get ready to do something. Have sober eyes about yourself and set your hope firmly in eternity, firmly in heaven. He's about to give a huge challenge, and so he's setting it up before he does. Jesus has been so good to you guys, so get ready for this. Don't fool yourself. Keep your eyes on heaven. And with that set up, he walks straight into his challenge Be holy. Be holy. Don't live your life like you used to live it. Don't be defined by the passions and sins and actions of this sinful world. It's as simple as that. His big challenge. Jesus has been so good to you. So get ready. I'm going to tell you to do something. Don't don't fool yourself. Set yourself firmly on eternity. Are you ready? Okay. Be holy. Don't live like you used to live. Don't be defined by the brokenness, the sin, the curse. Be holy. Be defined by the set-apartness of your God. He follows this challenge by, again, reminding his audience of why he's giving them this challenge. If you you call on God, don't forget that, that he is your father and your judge. He cares about holiness. He cares about how we live. And by the way, Jesus paid a huge price for you. He paid for you to buy you out of this fallen and sinful world. Don't take that lightly. Don't disregard the price that Jesus paid to win you. And then Peter ends out our text with a command for the church to, to love each other well and dedicate themselves to the word of God that lasts. And that's really it. The text is relatively simple upon examination, which is why me and Peter jive well. (laughs) He gets through his thoughts quickly. He doesn't have like 18 million run-on sentences like Paul. Peter's basically doing a really hard and blunt challenge and then sandwiching it between the motivation and foundation to accomplish it. Right? Right? Because Jesus has been so good to you, be holy. And I'm serious about this. Jesus has been really good to you. Like, don't take that lightly. He kind of puts it in between there. Don't disregard the price he paid for you to be able to be holy. So love each other well and stick with the word. It's it's simple and challenging to hear, but much harder to actually practice. So how do we actually live holy lives? Right, It's such a good challenge, and we hear it, and we're like, heck yes. Heck yes, God has been so good to me. Jesus has done so much. Absolutely, yes. Be holy, be set apart. I get it. I don't want to disregard the price he paid. Awesome. I'm still going to live, leave here, and my heart is still going to be in love with fill-in-the-blank sin. Whether it's bitterness, or laziness, or lust, or isolation, or selfishness, or pride, or whatever it is, Like that's still there. So yeah, I'm down, but what the heck do I do with that? I think Peter points us in this text to three different kind of hallmarks of this life that's pursuing holiness that are really common throughout all of the New Testament teaching on holiness. And so I'm going to point them out the way Peter talks about him, and hopefully that'll connect us to some of the other texts in the scripture that talk about him. It's this. I think, I think hearts... That are, that are fighting their sin and seeking to walk in holiness, people, people who are living in that way, fighting their sin, seeking to walk in holiness, will be people who call upon the only one who can make them holy, God. People who endure, and people who lean into the truth of the fellowship and the word. Lean in to the truth, the fellowship, and the word. People who, who call upon the only one that can make us holy. Call upon God. People who endure, people who lean into the fellowship in the word. I'm going to walk back through these, just kind of take a minute to talk about each one. Calling upon God. I'm going to start here because Peter starts here. If you call upon God, that's a good answer. If you call on Him as Father, remember He's also a judge. Peter starts here, but also bridges us to the teaching of the last several weeks. If you want to be holy, you have to call upon the Lord. He's the only holy one. And as Jesus shows us, his holiness is transmissive. He can place his holiness upon you. He can make this happen for you. This requires us to fully align ourselves with this God. That's why I love this word, call upon. It's, it's like a, a changing of allegiance to call upon him, to seek him over and above the other things you could seek. Uh, imagine it like this. This is a, a word image for you. Imagine a foreign nation led by a tyrant manages to conquer a huge chunk of our country. I know that's wild. I don't know how you'd work that out geographically to make sure St. Louis is conquered, but you do. It's a straight line right down from Canada. We didn't see it coming. Our brother's from the north. And they conquered St. Louis. And this foreign nation led by a tyrant conquers this place and captures you. And you're locked up, rotting in a dungeon, run by an enemy who could care less about you. It's a pretty terrible place to be. But then a leader, maybe a, a war hero from the other side, someone you've maybe heard of but you've never met. He shows up one day at this prison, not with his army ready to tear it down, but he shows up and he gains you your freedom by turning himself in. When you got out of that hell hole and got back out into the world, and you were thinking about who might have your loyalties, whose flag might you fly? The, the tyrant who, who conquered and imprisoned you or the banner of the hero who saved you? That's a dumb analogy because it's so obvious. We wouldn't be have loyalty to the tyrant who captured us and harmed us and caused us destruction. Our, our heart would be turned toward the one who liberated us the one who saved us, the one who got us out of that. But this is exactly the situation we find ourselves in. And Peter reminds us of this. Jesus ransomed us away from the power of the curse by his own blood. And this is more than just some guy showing up and paying a ransom and paying the bail to get you out of jail. No, he sacrificed his own self, his own blood, his own perfect person poured out for us that we might be freed from the power of the tyrant death. How could we not change our allegiance and fly his flag? How could we not call upon him, align ourselves fully with him, this, this gracious and loving God? In Isaiah 35, God gives the prophet this vision of the final judgment when he will restore all things. And, and, and the image he gives to Isaiah, I love this, is a highway. Uh, he sees a, a literal physical highway built on the world that leads straight into the new Jerusalem. And the text tells us that this road will be called the highway of holiness, which I know that sounds like an album name for like a 1980s Christian metal band, who's like trying to be like an edgy Christian version of like, you know, secular metal band. But it's actually Isaiah 35 the highway to holiness, and all the redeemed of God will walk upon this road. Those who've called on the name of the Lord will step onto this road, and those who've ignored and rejected this God's call they will not be allowed on the road, and this road will lead them straight to the throne of God for all eternity. And this is the best part of the entire vision. If you go and read Isaiah 35, verse 8 says this, Even if they are fools they shall not go astray or be lost. God has made this holy highway such that even dumb people won't be able to get lost on the road. I love that he felt the need to include that. When I read texts like that, I go, God's word really is speaking directly to me. This is amazing. These people will get where God has them going. Those who walk on God's holy highway will make their way to his presence. It may take a while. He has bluntly said, many of us travelers are fools, right? But even we won't get lost on the way to him. I love this. Beloved, if you call upon the name of the Lord, the lover of your soul, the the judge of all, the king of reality, if you change your allegiance from the tyrant to the Savior, he will put you on the road and you will make your way to him. You will. What joyful hope. But there's also this base level challenge there it's so important for us. If you want to be holy, you must call upon the Lord. You will not find this road on your own. Sin has ruined you. I know that's intense to say, but but we have to hear that. You are unholy down to the marrow of your bones. You won't get there without the grace and intervention of our holy and righteous God. But praise be to him that he will respond. He will answer. He will bring you to him. Not even fools get lost on God's highway. Come on. Which leads us perfectly to the second idea, which is those, those who, are, who are fighting their sin and seeking to live set apart in holy lives are those who endure. In our text in verse 17, Peter says this, if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The time of your exile. It gives us this vital second step of pursuing holiness. Once you call upon the Lord and receive his gift, and he's placed you on his highway, you're presented with the very problem that we opened this time with. You're, you're still in this body of flesh, you're still on this earth, you still have sinful desires and sinful loves in your heart. So you must, according to scripture, endure. You must endure. Peter calls this time your exile but it means the same thing. You have to stick with it to the end. You must endure. Remember, God has said, you will make it down the road to him. You can't get lost, but you do have to travel because God has, God has left us on this earth now on purpose, knowing well the tension that we live in in this already but not yet, in, 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 this, in this holy work of Christ. He knows that, but he still left you here. You didn't receive Christ and immediately like a vacuum cleaner like, came out of heaven and sucked out your soul. You, you remained here to travel this road, to, to live this life already but not yet. And God calls on you to endure. James spoke of this in the opening teaching of his letter to the church. In chapter one of James, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You must not give up on holiness in your life. Guys, holiness is the inevitable end of those who call upon the Lord. I know you're not there yet, but you must not give up. God is still working in you. There is breath in your lungs. There is a beat in your heart. There is a spirit of God dwelling within you. He is not done with you. He's placed you on that highway and you will get to him. So don't give up. Don't give up. The very process of enduring the very, the very experience of sticking with it makes you more holy and makes you more like God. James says this earlier in the same chapter. He says, he says count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That, that Greek word that we read is perfect and complete. That's a Greek synonym for, you guessed it, holy. But the simple act of enduring this life continuing to chase after Jesus, even though it's hard, even though it doesn't make sense, even though we fall on our face over and over, continuing to show up at church, continuing to meet with your small group, continuing to engage in spiritual disciplines, continuing to come to Jesus and worship, continuing to pray, continuing to confess your failures, your, your real desires to God and to your brothers and sisters, all of these things, even when life is hard and they feel you feel like they're doing nothing the very act of sticking with it and enduring in this life, God says it grows you in holiness. It grows you in holiness, beloved. Do not give up. Endure. Stay the course. Which brings us to our last point from the First Peter passage. Those who who seek to kill their sin and grow in holiness, are the kind of people who lean into the truth of God, the Word of God, and the fellowship of His church. Peter ends our text today by reminding his audience this holy life of seeking after Jesus will be marked by love and relationship with the church and a deep, abiding relationship with the Word of God. So basically... If you want to fight your sin and walk in holiness, you have to engage the word of God and engage in deep loving relationship with the church. Huh, go figure. This one seems kind of like low hanging fruit, right? This is your pastor standing up front saying, you should read your Bible more and go to church more. (laughs) Is there anything else more, more stereotypical that a pastor could say from the pulpit? Love the church. Read the Bible more. Is that really how I'm landing this sermon on how to be holy? Yes. Yes, it is. Beloved, God has commanded that you live a holy life. That you reject sin. That you kill the idolatry of this world. I want you to hear this. We are to, we are to hate things like sexual immorality in our life and kill it. We're to hate dishonesty in our life and kill it. We're to hate hatred and bitterness in our life and kill it. We're to hate gossip and slander in our life and kill it. We're to hate laziness and the entitledness in our life and kill it. We're to hate dishonor and self-obsession in our life and kill it. A holy life looks like something It looks like actively doing the work of slaying your sin, actively experiencing conviction about things as seemingly small as crude jokes and heartless disregard for the hurt of others and miserly hoarding of resources and casual disregard for the sacredness of sexuality and a host of other things. Things that are deep to the very core of our hearts. Beloved, if we are honest, we are the masters of profanity. From our hearts, to our desires, to our thoughts, to our plans. We love to sin in all sorts of ways. Every single one of us. And the longer we live on this earth, the longer we chase after Christ, it seems like as, as we gain more self-awareness, we, we, we tap in and see deeper depths of the effects of sin in our heart. I had a conversation with a great, a great friend in our church who's in their 70s. And we were sitting in a small group, this is a couple years ago, and they said, man, we looked at this in the text, and it just wrecked me to this area of sin that has been in my heart since I was a child. And I'm just now having eyes to see it. Someone in their 70s. Guys, we're going to continue to battle the flesh within us. The pieces of our heart that love sin, that love evil, that is in us. If you want to see growth in the holiness of your person between now and the return of Jesus, then you will have to go to war with yourself. And the only way that you will ever find any victory in that war is with the love, presence, and backing of the church of Jesus Christ at your side and the marrow and bone-dividing power of the Word of God. You need the power of God to kill your sin and live in holiness. If you want to be holy, yes, You must be surrounded by the life of the church and given to the word of God. Drench yourself in his word. Read it, study it, discuss it, memorize it, think about it, consider it, enjoy it. Be a person of the word and surround yourself with people who love Jesus and who love you enough to call you out and help you in your fight for holiness. You have to be around people who, who will encourage you. People who will, who will encourage you, not, not just in helping you feel better about yourself, but encouraging you to confess, encouraging you to repent, challenging you to live differently, even when you don't like hearing it, who will serve you as you seek to change. Beloved, I can't think of anything more important for your holiness outside of the literal gospel work of Jesus Christ on your behalf than the love of the church and the word of God. I can't think of anything. If your life is not literally intentionally designed and structured around intimacy with the community of God and, and drenching in the word of God, then you will be the fool wandering down the highway of holiness. By God's grace, praise be to God, you'll get there. You will. You'll get there. You can't get lost. But like Paul said to the Corinthian church, You may enter into the kingdom as one who's running out of a burning building. You get out, but only by the skin of your teeth. Beloved, why? Why wander into the kingdom? Why wander into eternity smoking and hurting? Why not give ourselves fully here and now to our eternity? Why not? What, 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 what else does the world have to offer that's somehow better than growing in holiness and growing in intimacy with our Lord that we would tarry? What is it that we're turning to that, that, that in our heart of hearts, and guys, look, I get it. We're in church. You're like 30 minutes into a sermon. It's easy to just amen this and agree with it, but, but we have to be honest. Like, what is it in your heart that act, do you actually want more than holiness that when you see this equation and you're sitting at home tonight or you're sitting in your job this week or you're doing whatever it is you do, that your heart actually desires sin and profanity more than holiness? Is that actually better? In this place, it's easy to say no. But we all know later on this week, it's not going to be so easy. I heard a pastor say it like this. When Jesus returns and makes all things new, you will be made perfect. And everything, everything sinful and profane about you will be stripped away, leaving only the holy. Everything within you that isn't of Christ, will be stripped away and disappear. And all that remains will be what is perfect and what is holy. In that space, if Jesus came back this evening, how much of you would be left? Would you recognize yourself in eternity? What what percentage of you would need to be stripped away to step into the holy presence of God? I know that's like super intense to say it that way. And and please hear me, church. Like I'm saying this to me. I'm saying this challenge to my own self. But beloved, let let us fight for holiness. Let us be the sort of folk who structure our lives, who give our lives to be more like Jesus. Let us sprint down this highway as those who are excited to reach the destination. And we'll be a church who recognize ourselves in eternity. Because this will take action. Will take intentionality. It's why Peter opened our text this way. Prepare yourselves for action, but praise be to God that you are not in this alone. You have the word. You have the church. And lastly, and most importantly, we started here, we're ending here. You have God. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. Dwells within you. Lives in you. Fights with you. Fights for you. I'm going to end us by just reading a passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. I'm going to ask the band to kind of come back up as I read this because here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this and I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask you guys to hear this text. Let it wash over you. Consider what's being said and and as as I finish out my prayer, they're going to begin to sing. I'm going to ask you guys to in this song just sit and be with Jesus. Consider your own holiness. Consider your own relationship with Him. Your relationship to your own sin. See what he says to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, I've got to read that over again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. walk not according to the flesh. Not according to the profane the things of this world, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God or does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, beloved, you, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong in him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Hear this, church. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, you are not alone. Spirit fights this battle with him. Call him. Endure with him. And lean into the gifts he's given. Pray with me. Father, you're just really good to us. Christ, I confess to you that I fall so short of holy. So often I love the things in the flesh. I love the things in this world. I love what's right in front of me. God, I want to be holy. I want to be one who sprints down the highway toward you, who fights to be more like you, who rejects the sin in my heart. need your help. Do this work in us. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Beloved, continue to think, reflect, and pray.